Yet even then I did not want to touch it. Indeed, my unwillingness increased, for now I knew why I distrusted it. I looked away, and it seemed to me that every object in the room exhaled the diary's enervating power and spoke its message of disappointment and defeat. And as if that was not enough, the voices reproached me with not having had the grit to overcome them. Under this twofold assault, I sat staring at the bulging envelopes around me, the stacks of papers tied up with red tape, the task of sorting which I had set myself for winter evenings, and of which the red collar-box had been almost the first item. And I felt, with a bitter blend of self-pity and self-reproach, that had it not been for the diary, or what the diary stood for, everything would be different. I should not be sitting in this drab, flowerless room, where the curtains were not even drawn to hide the cold rain beating on the windows, or contemplating the accumulation of the past and the duty it imposed on me to sort it out. I should be sitting in another room, rainbow-hued, looking not into the past but into the future, and I should not be sitting alone. So I told myself, and with a gesture born of will, as most of my acts were, not inclination, I took the diary out of the box and opened it. Diary for the year 1900, it said in a copperplate script, unlike the lettering of today. And round the year thus confidently heralded, the first year of the century, winged with hope, clustered the signs of the zodiac, each somehow contriving to suggest a plenitude of life and power, each glorious though differing from the others in glory. How well I remembered them, their shapes and attitudes. And I remembered, too, though it was no longer potent for me, the magic with which they were then invested, and the tingling sense of coming fruition they conveyed, the lowly creatures no less than the exalted ones. The fishes sported deliciously, as though there were no such things as nets and hooks. The crab had a twinkle in its eye, as though it was well aware of its odd appearance, and thoroughly enjoyed the joke. And even the scorpion carried its terrible pincers with a gay, heraldic air, as though its deadly intentions existed only in legend. The ram, the bull, and the lion epitomized imperious manhood. They were what we all thought we had it in us to be. Careless, noble, self-sufficient, they ruled their months with sovereign sway. As for the Virgin, the one distinctively female figure in the galaxy, I can scarcely say what she meant to me. She was dressed adequately, but only in the coils and sweeps of her long hair, and I doubt whether the school authorities, had they known about her, would have approved the hours of dalliance my thoughts spent with her, though these, I think, were innocent enough. She was, to me, the key to the whole pattern, the climax, the coping-stone, the goddess, for my imagination was then, though it is no longer, passionately hierarchical. It envisaged things in an ascending scale, circle on circle, tier on tier, and the annual mechanical revolution of the months did not disturb this notion. I knew that the year must return to winter and begin again, but to my apprehensions the zodiacal company were subject to no such limitations. 
they soared in an ascending spiral towards infinity. And the expansion and ascension, as of some divine gas, which I believed to be the ruling principle of my own life, I attributed to the coming century. The year 1900 had an almost mystical appeal for me. I could hardly wait for it. Nineteen hundred, nineteen hundred, I would chant to myself in rapture. And as the old century drew to its close, I began to wonder whether I should live to see its successor. I had an excuse for this. I had been ill and was acquainted with the idea of death. But much more, it was the fear of missing something infinitely precious, the dawn of a golden age. For that was what I believed the coming century would be, a realization on the part of the whole world.